Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. So John kept saying to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not even think of saying of yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, because I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds began to ask him, What should we do then? He answered them, Whoever has two shirts should share with a person who has none, and whoever has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. They said, Teacher, what should we do? To them he said, Collect no more than what you were authorized to. Soldiers were also asking him, And what should we do? He told them, do not extort money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but someone mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then with many other words, he appealed to them and was preaching good news to the people. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is certainly coming soon. Time's running out. Whether we like to admit it or not, Christmas is only 13 short days away. In fact, the shipping companies have already issued warnings saying if you don't have your packages in the mail by this Wednesday, by December 15th, there's a good chance it won't arrive at its destination in time for Christmas. Time is running out. It's at this time of year you hear a lot of people say, I just, I don't know where all the time went. Where did December go? It seems like it was just Thanksgiving and now it's almost Christmas. I have so much to do and so little time to do it in. How did it sneak up on me like this? Yet the reality is that if we're not ready for Christmas, it's not because this December was shorter than any other December or that God chopped some time out of each of our days. No, if we're not prepared for Christmas... We have no one but ourselves to blame. It's our own fault. The same is true of being prepared to receive Jesus as our Savior. And that when he comes in judgment, if we're not ready for him to arrive, we can't blame anyone else. We can't say that we didn't know. We can't say that the Lord didn't warn us. We will have no one to blame but ourselves. The good news this morning is that God has sent a helper for us, someone to prepare us, to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare us to receive him when he returns in judgment. Now, without a doubt, many aspects of John's ministry are just downright strange, especially to our ears and our sensibilities today. First of all, he didn't set up shop in Jerusalem where all the people were. He set up shop out in the wilderness by the Jordan River where no one was. He didn't wear the attire of a priest or a rabbi, which he could have done because he was from the priestly line. Remember, his father Zechariah was a priest. 
No, he dressed himself up in camel's hair and survived on a diet of locusts and honey. And yet as strange as John appeared and his ministry appeared to be, the people came out in droves. They came out from Jerusalem, out to the Jordan River, to see him and to hear him and to be baptized by him. That brings us to the weirdest part of all. Did you hear how he greeted them? You offspring of vipers. That's not any way to talk to somebody. I don't think if you were looking at an evangelism manual today that you would, you would hear it suggested that, okay, if you want to start a conversation with somebody about Jesus, this is the way you start. Call him a viper. Call him a child of the devil. That's a good way to start. That'll get them on your side. Why did he speak with such venom? Well, you have to understand who was in his audience. Matthew tells us that it wasn't just crowds of tax collectors and soldiers and normal people going out there, but it was specifically Pharisees and Sadducees. And if you know anything about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's that they were children of Satan, what they taught and how they lived. They tried to pretend like they were better than your average person when really, as Jesus called them, they were whitewashed walls. On the outside, they may have looked nice, but on the inside, they were rotten to the core. They were hypocrites. And John calls them out on it. And, but his job wasn't just to call them hypocrites, not to just make fun of them or mock them, but, but to expose the lies that they had been hiding behind. To expose their excuses for not actually doing what the Lord had been asking them to do for hundreds of years, repent and then produce fruits of repentance. And John exposes three lies in particular. First of all, he says, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruits in keeping with repentance. The Pharisees had basically been begging God to send his judgment for hundreds of years. For hundreds of years, they had refused to repent. Who had warned them about the coming wrath? Well, of course, the Lord had done that. The Lord had said to them and their fathers for hundreds of years, if you don't repent, I'm going to bring judgment on you. But what John is really saying here is, why do you guys come out to me to be baptized? Because John knew them. He knew that they didn't think they needed to repent. They didn't think they needed to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He knew that they thought that they had all kinds of good works piled up that would be enough to satisfy God. They had circumcision. They had the, the 10% of their spices and money that they would give. They had their ceremonial washings. They had all of these good works piled up, and they thought, that's all we need. That's good enough. But again, even these good works... They covered up a sinful, impenitent heart in these Pharisees and Sadducees who refused to look to the Lord for forgiveness, who refused to confess their actual sins. And so John exposes their excuse, says, stop hiding behind what you think are your good works. Those are not going to stand up when the Lord appears in his wrath. They will be burned up in the fire of his anger. Then he picks out another excuse. He zeroes in on the excuse you might call salvation by heritage. He says, do not even think of saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Throughout Israel's history, this is kind of like the trump card that they would pull out anytime uh, the Lord threatened to punish them. They would say, 
No, 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 no. You can't do that. We have Abraham's blood flowing through our veins. We're children of Abraham. We're your chosen people. You, you owe us your mercy and your grace. When the reality was that the only reason that Israel was God's chosen people was because of his grace. They didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve to be his special people, the apple of his eye, the, the nation out of which the Savior would come. They didn't deserve any of that. And just as any parent knows, the longer a child stomps all over your grace, spits in your face when you show them goodwill, the more likely it is that that grace is going to be revoked. And that's what John is warning them of here. Yeah, you may have Abraham's blood flowing through your veins, but God doesn't need you, and God doesn't owe you anything. He can raise up children of Abraham out of these very stones. And, and when he was talking about stones there, he's probably referring to non-Jews, to Gentiles. He's saying, I don't need you Jewish people. You're not God's gift to earth. I can raise up children, believers, out of anyone. So that's the second excuse that John exposes. The third excuse was kind of implicit here, but for the past 400 years or so since Malachi last called the people of Israel to repentance, they hadn't repented. If you read any of the the histories that aren't in our Bible about that time period is a very dark time in Israel. It was a time of wickedness and great evil all over. They, they weren't repenting. And they were kind of thinking, ah, that repentance stuff, that, that turning away from sin and turning to God for forgiveness, yeah, we'll, do, we'll get around to that later. We've got more important things to do. We've got fields to plant. We've got, we've got people to marry. We've got all sorts of other things that are more important than repentance and faith. And so John warns them. He says, even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the tree, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Time is up. The Messiah is coming, he's telling them. Repent now. Bear fruits of repentance now before it's too late. Don't procrastinate and don't be lazy. Those three excuses that John exposes, he's showing them you're not ready. When the Messiah comes, you are not ready. Stop hiding behind these excuses. They are not going to save you when our Lord returns in wrath. If John were in this pulpit today, would he have any reason to call us the offspring of vipers, children of Satan? It is very easy to succumb to the world's idea of doing good this time of year. And that doing good makes up for whatever you've done bad. It's very easy to imagine, to be tempted to think that, that the good we do will satisfy God. That if we're just a little bit kinder to strangers, maybe we take it a little bit easier when we're driving. Maybe, maybe we let someone go ahead of us in line. Maybe we spend all sorts of time and effort trying to make Christmas very nice for our family and our friends. It's very easy for us to think, yeah, God should be happy with that. I don't really need to repent. I don't really need to confess that I haven't lived up to God's standard. I don't really need to change the way I'm living because look at all the good I've done. Just like those Pharisees, right? How easy it is for us to succumb to that. Or salvation by heritage. I don't think any of us have Abraham's blood flowing through our veins. If, if you do, well, um, 
that's okay. It doesn't disqualify you or anything. But we are Lutheran. And that comes with its own set of temptations, doesn't it? It's easy to think, well, we're Lutheran. We have the pure gospel. We've had the pure gospel for 500 years. God has got to be happy with us, right? We don't tolerate any false doctrine in these walls. We're the good guys. We even have our names on the very official-looking membership list at a Lutheran church, an Orthodox Lutheran church. God should be happy with that, right? That should be enough to qualify us for heaven on Judgment Day. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Jesus is not. When he returns, he's not coming into the church office here to see whose names are on the membership list. He's not looking at membership list. He's looking at your heart. That's what he's interested in. Would John see that we've procrastinated, that we've become lazy in our lives as Christians, that we've thought like those people in Israel did, yeah, this repentance stuff, this bearing fruit of repentance, this turning away from sin and, and living for God, um, this taking devotional life seriously, um, this praying without ceasing, this actually seen as my most important job as a parent to raise my children in the fear and knowledge of the Lord, this actually taking worship seriously, understanding that this is the most important hour of my week because this is when God Himself comes to me, to restore me and to forgive me. Yeah, you know, I got more important things to do than that, Lord. And just ask yourself, if you don't know the books of the Bible by heart, if, if you don't know the explanations to the Ten Commandments, or even know the Ten Commandments by heart, or if, if your catechism is sitting on a shelf under a pile of dust at home, how seriously are you really taking your growth in the Christian faith? How can you tell yourself, yes, Lord, I am advancing, I am growing, I am, I am desiring to be sanctified just as you want me to if, if this is really the only time you ever spend in the Word of God? Could John call us the offspring of vipers this morning? The axe is at the foot of the trees. Jesus could return at any day now. Are we really ready? I know it's uncomfortable to have our excuses exposed. It feels like when the law drives, drills into you like that, it feels like you're standing naked before God. And you are. God knows. I don't know if any of those things are true of you or not, but God does. He sees everything. That's a good thing to understand. It's a good thing to keep in mind. That none of our excuses will stand up to His judgment when He returns. It's good for us to be forced to ask, like that crowd, what are we going to do then? Now notice that here, as John responds to them, the audience has changed. He's not really talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees anymore. He's not talking to these, those self-righteous people. He's, he's talking to the people who actually repented of their sins and actually asked John, please baptize me so that my sins may be forgiven. And so what John is responding to them with is, this is how you can now thank God for everything that he's done for you. These are justified people, and now John is moving into how to, how to live a sanctified life. Well, he tells everyone in general, if God has blessed you materially, then share what you have with others. He tells the tax collectors, don't collect your taxes dishonestly. He tells the, the soldiers, don't extort. 
Don't, don't take advantage of the power that you have to, to bri- get bribes or skim money from people. It's very simple, right? It's interesting. He, the Pharisees had this idea that, that God is pleased if you have your tassels on your robe the exact right length, if your sideburns were just the right length, if you, if you um, don't do any work on the Sabbath. Day. All these big showy things they thought was, were pleasing to God. And what does John say? Be who you are. You are a blood-bought Christian. You have been baptized into Christ. Be who you are now. That's as complicated as it gets. And that's exactly his encouragement to us today. Whoever you are as you walk out those doors, whatever role you have in life, first and foremost, you are a baptized child of God. That is who you are. And if John were here today, he would say, be who you are. Be who you are. Be a child of God. So, are you a parent? Be a godly example for your children and raise them using the tools that God has given you, the law and the gospel. Are you married? Be faithful to your spouse. Keep the marriage bed pure. Don't let lust enter your heart. Sacrifice yourself out of love for one another. Are you an employee? Well, don't rob from your employer by being lazy at work. That is theft. That is robbing. Probably, Luther thought, the most prevalent form of theft that there is in the entire world of being lazy on the job, stealing time and stealing money from your employer. Don't do that anymore. You are a child of God. Has God blessed you materially? Share what you have with others. That's being a child of God. You know, Luther summed it up so succinctly. He said, if you want to know what God's will for your life in particular is, compare your life to the Ten Commandments. First, you need to confess all the times where you don't match up, where you have failed to keep the Ten Commandments. But then, then Luther says, then this wonderful thing happens where you can use those same Ten Commandments to show you how God wants you to live. Using them as a guide. That is how we live as sanctified believers. That is how we, we be who we are. Baptized children of God. John spoke in such a simple and yet profoundly powerful way that the people began to speculate about him. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Christ. John, with his characteristic bluntness, he doesn't lie to them, he doesn't deceive them. I think it might have been tempting for him to accept that praise, right? But he didn't. He said, I baptize you with water, but someone mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, this is the second part of John's job description. After he's exposed the excuses that we use to, to, to not do what God wants us to do, to not repent, then he exalts Christ. He says, I'm not the Christ. Christ is so much greater than I am. I don't even deserve to untie his shoes. Now, the baptisms. You might be wondering about that. What's, what's going on here with these two different baptisms? Well, John is comparing apples to oranges. He's using the same word, baptize, but he's using it in a, a, literal phrase, a literal way and then a metaphorical way. So the first time he says, I baptize with water. That is a, a genuine baptism for the forgiveness of sins. No different than what we do here today. But Jesus' baptism was different. The mightier one would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's not talking about Christian baptism. That's talking about the events of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and tongues of fire on the disciples. 
John also said this, that the mightier one would demonstrate his power in what he came to do. His winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In one sentence, John summarizes what Jesus came to do. The two questions, I think, arise. Is this law or gospel here? You'd have to say both, right? It is good news that the Lord will come and he will gather in the wheat that is his believers and and take us into the barn that is heaven. That's good news. It's the strongest possible preaching of the law, though, to hear that if you're not found as the wheat, if you're not found worthy before Christ, he will burn you with unquenchable fire in hell forever. It is clear law and it is clear gospel. The other question, I think, arises is, when is this going to happen? Now, John seems to be combining both Jesus' first coming and his second coming into one here. He's not, he's not dividing between them. And that's important to understand because I don't really re- seem to recall Jesus burning anyone up during his ministry, right? He didn't do that. But he will when he returns. And what that means, John combining both his first and second coming together, is that this threshing floor, this separation, it's happening right now. Here and now is when Jesus is working to separate the wheat from the chaff. Right now, right here, those who are truly penitent of their sins are receiving the awesome assurance that their sins are forgiven, the comfort that they are at peace with God. Right now, those who refuse to repent of their sins are being told, Judgment Day is coming. You better repent. You're not ready. They are being warned. Right now, this is happening. Right now, Jesus is busy dividing believers from unbelievers using the Word of God. That's the good news for today. While the time is short and Jesus is coming in judgment, we know that He's already come. And the first time he came was not to condemn anyone, but to save a world of sinners. He came to provide the only excuse that will stand on the last day. Jesus' perfect life excuses all of those times where we have not taken devotional life seriously or prayed as much as we should or been lazy in repentance or thought, well, I'm a Lutheran, so I'm fine. I don't really need to repent. Jesus' perfect life excuses all of those sins. Jesus' innocent death excuses us from ever having to worry about burning in the fire of hell forever. Jesus' glorious resurrection gives us no excuse to doubt that when he returns, we will be found on the side of the wheat. He will take us to his home and our home in heaven. Jesus provides the only excuse that will stand up on judgment day. He's the only excuse that we need. There's no doubt about it, time is running out. Only 13 days until Christmas. But also, more importantly, Jesus is coming soon. How do we know if we're ready? Well, John prepares us this morning. He exposes our lies. He tells us, stop hiding behind those excuses. They're not going to stand up on Judgment Day. Instead, repent, confess your sins, turn to Jesus in faith, exalt Him as Lord in your heart, for in Him you will stand firm when He returns. Amen.